welcome to the Future of Football, a brand new show brought to you by The Athletic. Last week, we tackled the dominance of the Premier League's Big Six. This week, we're going to turn our attentions to broadcasting and the billions of pounds it pours into the game. Previously recession-proof, but surely now the financial foundation for football's latest boom period is under serious threat. What happens to football if the broadcast bubble bursts and the billions turn to just millions what would the much talked about netflix style service mean for the premier league and indeed for the fans is it a realistic proposition should fans be able to watch games at three o'clock on a saturday which isn't allowed in the uk how long can that blackout be upheld this is the future of football brought to you by the athletic With us for today's discussion, David Ornstein, football correspondent of The Athletic, Ed Malian, journalist who is stateside, and Matt Slater, who looks at all the... Uh, well, how would you describe it? You, you look at all the boardroom stuff, don't you, and all the governance battles, all the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I do. I do rails, money, drugs, Politics, <laughs> scandal. Yeah. I don't. I don't do any sport. A scandal correspondent. If we if we had a political correspondent, that's the closest thing we'd have. Right. I, I still quite like scandal correspondent. Anyhow, let's start with you, Matt, because you can just explain how the current broadcast model works as regards the Premier League, and then we'll expand it from there. Okay. Well, it, it works really well, doesn't it? So basically, what they do is every every three years they go to market, they um, sell their rights by territory. They do a bidding process. They get broadcasting companies to to make bids for exclusive rights to show live Premier League action. And that's worked really, really well for the best part of 30 years. It's made the Premier League certainly the richest domestic football competition. I think only the NFL would make more on broadcasting. And in this country, got a very, very close relationship with Sky. It's been very mutually beneficial. Those two entities, if you like, have grown together. There's been attempts to bring a second player in because that keeps Sky honest and keeps the keeps the rights, the value of the rights going up. For the last few rounds, it's been BT. And uh, it did look for a time as though those two were going to go, you know, head to head. But they've now sort of kind of settled, I think, into a senior and junior partner position. And at the whole time, certainly in the UK, we've, we've had the BBC. If you didn't want to pay... Um, to watch exclusive live TV, you could wait and watch Match of the Day, as you well know, um, and enjoy the highlights. And, you know, that that model has worked, as I say, very well, I would say, for pretty much everybody. And then, you know, that would be replicated around the country. Once upon a time, the, the global rights weren't worth that much because most people cared about their own domestic league. But one of the remarkable... I think, sporting business stories of the last, as I say, 15, 20, 25 years has been the growth of the Premier League around the world and just how valuable those broadcast rights have become in, in Asia and North America in particular. So so that's that's the way it works and, and uh, the clubs have done pretty well out of it. I think we probably, David, are at, uh, with two different discussion subjects on the financial side of things before we even move on you know sky and bt and amazon who have come into the market in this round all operate a subscription model so 
it would cost fans around £75 a month if you are subscribing to all of those three to get your Premier League fix. The Premier League currently makes £3.1 billion a year from TV rights, £1.4 billion of which comes from foreign markets. So given the, the frightening amounts of, of all of those um, values that I mentioned, the question has to be asked whether this bubble is now going to be about to burst because of the coronavirus. Well, there's a very good chance of it. There's going to be an immediate impact and no idea how long that will last. Suggestions from pretty much everyone I speak to in, in football feel that football will come back and even stronger than ever before eventually and that we'll we'll see a return to some of the broadcasting transfer salary figures and even higher people will have an insatiable appetite that appetite is is going nowhere whether we're, we're at home whether we're in stadiums and so it will come back it will potentially be even higher but the big question is when and that's why I think they'll definitely be an immediate impact initially i was hearing that it wasn't so much sky and bt sport that would be kicking up a fuss if the season isn't completed it was more the overseas broadcasters who provide more money and maybe less involved emotionally with the premier league it's it's a bit more clinical than that and that the the domestic broadcasters would be a bit more understanding and and willing to negotiate but i was speaking to an agent yesterday who said he was in conversation with somebody high up at Sky and that their attitude had turned. They're ready to press really hard to reclaim the money that you could say be owed if if the matches aren't completed and they're getting pretty militant about it themselves now. And this perhaps explains why the clubs and executives are, I don't think it's exaggerating to say terrified and they're fighting so hard to get this season completed. They're absolutely adamant it will and really it all comes down to the television money because somebody I was speaking to, an executive in the SPL up in Scotland, was saying to me, well, we obviously want to get the season finished, but if it can't be, we'll probably rule it null and void, largely because um, our dependence on television money isn't quite what it is down south. That's a shame because it would have stood us to earn much more over the years. Now we're in crisis. We could probably let it go and start the season again when it's safe to, whereas the Premier League just cannot do that. It's absolutely critical, this money. And what's happening now is, regardless of of how it sort of pans out in the short term, it's going to change the football and broadcasting landscape for sure. But it it does seem, Ed, that it is the broadcasting landscape that is in many ways determining what eventually happens with the end of the Premier League season. So putting what happens to the end of the season to, to one side, the fact that they have this power because of the amount of financial support they give the game will show that post corona in economic hardships, with fans not being able to afford expensive subscriptions the money going into the game from the broadcast market will surely go down i feel like it has to you know i mean they've been saying for a couple of years that eventually it would have to you know that we're gonna have to get to the other side of that curve we never thought that we would be uh trying to get to the other side of curve on on something far more important as matt slater's article said last night and a, a premier league exec actually texted me about it, which I forwarded to Matt late last night. The player contracts are obviously holding up the thing anyway. We've got the broadcast issue, but what I can see going out of this, you know, the links between these broadcasters and the leagues are actually very, very cosy. And um, David kind of uh, mentioned that earlier with the Sky Premier League relationship, which is very close. And and previously, it wasn't Sky putting pressure on the PL. It was 
as we said, the, the overseas broadcasters. And Sky also have a close relationship with, for example, the ECB in cricket. Now, I wouldn't usually bring this up, but it's slightly relevant because, you know, there's talk that the ECB might renew their Sky broadcast deal now just to get a cash injection, which really shows that Sky and the ECB are partners who work together and try and help each other out more than they are just an independent broadcaster working with a, a sport governing body. How does that affect the Premier League? How does that affect the championship? I don't know, but it means that they're probably going to have a big part to play in it. You know, I, I actually sent Matt a theory last night, uh, you know, a way that we can try and get through this. And he obviously trashed it because I hadn't thought it through properly. But, the, 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 you know, the whole, the whole thing works. The, the whole thing works in such a delicate ecosystem when you think about it. You know, the season touches down and finishes in the end of May. We have the Champions League final early June. You have a few weeks off, then the transfer window and everything kind of fits together perfectly. And we've just never had this wide scale disruption to it. And the more I look at this season, the more I can't see a way it's finished. If I bring it back to the the broadcast side of it, do you do you think the Premier League are happy, Matt? Now take the coronavirus out of it. Just are happy mm-hmm. with how they currently do their broadcast deals? That's a really good question. And let's just are we gonna have to take the coronavirus out of this for a bit because there really is a sort of before and after to this to this and so many other debates at the moment. A couple of months ago, I wrote a story about the Premier League admitting for the first time, something that a few of us in, in, in my sphere had, had thought for some time, that they had been actively thinking about going direct to consumer. So setting up a Netflix-like, a Premflix, whatever you want to call it, a, a Premier League offering that cuts out the middleman, i.e. broadcasters, and goes direct to you with a live streaming product. Now, lots of the other sports are already doing this. And I think the Premier League, you know, doing their job, this is Premier League HQ, who work for the clubs. And one of the main things they do is, as well as putting on the fixtures and running the competition, is is flogging the thing around the world. They have been working up plans to develop something similar. Call it whatever you want. The thing that they keep coming back to is, it's a bit of a risk to do that. We've got a really good thing going here with our existing partners who we've talked about. We would like to experiment. We'd like to dip our toe in the water a little bit. Do we do this in, a, in, a, in an overseas market? Would make sense. We, want, we need to find somewhere that's the right size, that has you know, a good experience of live streaming. And to cut a long story short, they were really thinking about Singapore, where there are about 400,000 subscribers to their partner in Singapore, Singtel. So could we, if you like, try to undercut one of our partners, do it ourselves. Now look, again, longer story, getting shorter. They didn't, but they are thinking about it. And earlier this year, Richard Masters, the new chief executive, pretty much admitted it's a matter of when. We will do this. At some point in the future, we will move to a mix of what we currently do, which is effectively effectively licensing our product to a to a third party, them giving us a great big wedge of cash, which guaranteed income that we then distribute to the clubs. The clubs love guaranteed income for lots of reasons, lots of obvious reasons, as they're learning right now. And we will then perhaps do some of this stuff around the edges in the same way that Major League Baseball, NFL, Formula One, UEFA, you go through the list. Everyone's in this space. Everyone knows live streaming is, if not the future, certainly a big part of the future. So that was pre-coronavirus. But around the same time, they announced their first 
of the next round, the next round of, of global deals. An absolute blockbuster, an old-fashioned Premier League, Richard Scudamore-style blockbuster. A six-year deal in the Nordic countries, Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Finland. A big uh, broadcast player there who, who works across all those countries called Nent, giving them £2 billion for a six-year deal. £2 billion. That's more than they pay to watch their own leagues in those countries. That was, I, think, I think it was about 25% up. So the model was working. They were doing really well. I think they were quite close to another deal as well, which they, you know, they haven't announced, but maybe it's gone away. I don't know. The old model was working, but there was this acknowledgement that we will move. We will move with the times. Of course we will, because we have to. Since you said on the, on the phrase, the model is working, I suppose when we say the model is working, Ed, we are simply saying the model is working as in it's bringing in an awful lot of money. The model might not be working in the number of people that are watching it. The financial model of the Premier League has obviously allowed it to rise above, say, La Liga and Serie A, who you could say are its contemporaries. You know, there was a period, what, 10, is it 10 years ago, La Liga was kind of, you know, still in the ascendancy a little bit. The Premier League obviously now has, has left all the others behind in terms of, of revenue, particularly commercial revenue, which other leagues have, have just nowhere got close to the Premier League on. So the model was working. You know, obviously, this is a completely unprecedented thing we're in, enduring right now, where we have to answer some questions that we never thought we'd have to answer, like how do you finish the season before the next season starts, and why is it important to, to finish last season? But broadly, if we just take out this weird thing that's happening right now, the Premier League has been pulling a, pulling away from its its contemporaries in in Europe. I, I wonder whether this is going to be some sort of great equaliser that just kind of clips back the Premier League or if every league will be equally affected by it. But I guess that's something that Matt would probably know better than I would. I still one thing that a lot of people are saying in Europe. They're all they're all they're all hurting. Everyone is hurting. This coronavirus has changed everything. Now whether it changes everything for forever or for a extended time, we just don't know. Right? But it's certainly changed the current reality in a dramatic way. One thing that I think nearly everyone agrees on though, that I've spoken to, is if there's one league, if there's one domestic league that is gonna emerge from this in relatively good shape, it's the Premier League. And it's the Premier League because it's the market leader. It is its streets ahead in terms of broadcast income. Again, guaranteed in the bank income. And it has, because of that, because of the exposure it gets around the world, it therefore does really nicely commercially. And, you know, for, for once upon a time, you know, the big clubs still in Spain and Germany, Bayern do really well. Obviously, Barca and Real, you can pick out the individuals. They do really well. Every Premier League club does pretty well. That's the point. It's it's a very, very strong collective. So it it is insulated as well as anybody can be insulated right now. And I think that is what I'm hearing around Europe. And that will, again, I think only feed into the general panic and alarm and suspicion and distrust and jealousy at times around the Premier League, particularly when you have a year like last year when Premier League clubs do really well on the pitch as well. It's a perennial thing that comes around. Whenever the Premier League has a period of success, everyone jumps up and down about the commercial and broadcast success as well. And I think that will come back in a big way once we return to normal. But Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, in the last round of um, Premier League rights, wasn't there one package left on the table that hadn't been taken and that's why things got moved towards Amazon? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, look the last round was interesting for a few reasons. 
So if we go back, let's say four years and seven years, back to back 70% increases three years on three years, if you know what I mean. Remarkable. Everyone was like, what? Where are they getting this from? How, how on earth are they going back to the market domestically and saying to Sky effectively, yeah, 70% more cash, please? I mean, it was just, in, and, and it, people kept predicting that this, that this, this cannot go on. And it was, it was, it got to the point where it was almost like a, a stop clock will be right eventually. And, and look, the, the bubble didn't burst. They, they, they offered more games to Sky and BT, more packages, and they got pretty much the same amount of money. Now, you're right, they could not get rid of these, these two funky little packages, which again were experimental. You know, you, you've got to credit the Premier League. They're very good at what they do. And they were thinking a, a couple steps ahead, I think. So the packages they didn't get rid of were these, they were very much designed to bring in new players. They were very much intended, nudge, nudge, hint, hint, Apple, Facebook, Google, we're looking at you, do you fancy some of this? These, these pretty much designed to be streamed packages where you've got an entire round of matches, what they call a, you know, a, a match week. And um, you, could sp you could spin them out over two or three days. And that's exactly what Amazon did. Amazon eventually, they, 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 they played pretty cool as well. They didn't jump in on the first round. They had to, they had to go back. And they, I think they got them for a bit of a song, to be honest. They never revealed it, but it, it's considered to be around 90 million, which was considerably less per game than Sky or BT have been paying. Considerably less. And what they got was they got those two packages, which they, again, very cleverly for them, put on in Christmas peak shopping time. So Amazon used it to, to bet. Again, it was mutually beneficial. Premier League's good at this. You partner us, you know, one hand washes the other. So, so Amazon Prime, you know, I think surprised many people with how well it went. They put on uh, some good games at the beginning of December. Then they put on a round of games over sort of the bank, uh, bank holiday around Boxing Day. Went really well. And I think everyone's gone, okay, you can stream games in this country. Our Wi-Fi and uh, our infrastructure can handle it. People will watch it. People will sign up to Amazon Prime or whoever else wants to do this. So I think the last round here was a, just a really good example of, okay, perhaps that traditional model is slowing down. Let's start looking elsewhere. In the meantime, however, the global the global deals are still going really well or were going really well before the coronavirus. But on the Amazon thing, it didn't create an auction between Amazon and Google and Apple and Netflix. Amazon were able to get that without without competition of other streaming services, Matt. And also, this may sound a slightly flippant question, but do we know whether shopping increased on their platform over over the period that they showed games? Yes. So on that last one, it was um, Amazon Prime's best ever month. It was right. they they put out a press release after the first round. So those ones at December fourth, fifth, which I think the big game was Liverpool Everton, that had been their biggest sign up I think since. I'm sorry, I don't watch the program. What's the what's the Top Gear version they do? The Grand Tour, I believe it's called. Thank you. Yeah. So so that that was a big big hullabaloo event for them. This was the next one. And then I think at this, the Boxing Day went even better because, you know, word of mouth, oh, by the way, they're not doing a bad job of it. And, you know, you can watch it pretty much for free because that was it. It was a trial. You could do it as a trial as well, a trial for a month, just enough time to do your Christmas shopping. So across the piece, they did phenomenally well. 
Because that's sometimes what you need to look at here, David. And, and this is what I'm referring to when, you know, when we talk about it being a good model, it brings the money in, it brings the subscriptions in. Whether people then actually watch a lot of it is a completely different matter. John Nicholson wrote a book recently all, all about this. You know, the, the viewing figures are um, sometimes quite hard to get hold of when it comes to Sky or, or BT, but they certainly wouldn't be the same as if they were on terrestrial. And this isn't a plug for, for terrestrial television. But I wonder whether when starting to look at other broadcasting models going forward, whether actually the number of eyes on a game will be as important to the Premier League as the money that's coming in. Or is it simply money, money, money? That's a great point. I think at the moment it's money, 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 especially given the current concerns. But the broader picture will again take over in time. And I would suspect that despite you know the build-up on, on Sky and BT Sport, say Monday Night Football, while being gripping to a, a relatively small number of us who tune in, it probably does pretty poorly. And then the action presumably gets big numbers and one of the biggest issues that I think uh, which we haven't addressed that I know the Premier League are incredibly concerned about and uh, I presume other leagues around the world too is piracy and there have been all manner of legal challenges um, uh, Matt will know much more about this than me and, and Ed too but um, I think that's a, a real threat as is the fragmentation of of consumers tendencies i remember when we were talking to the premier league a few years ago and they asked us what we think the biggest challenge is to uh, the premier league's future in terms of rivals and we sort of said i don't know 2020 cricket or formula one because there's a lot of motorsport fans out there and we kept guessing and, and didn't get it and it th this was a few years ago now so it won't come as a massive surprise it was esports and there are now rivals coming into the Premier League's territory that just weren't there before. Um, our time is ever more split between various activities as individuals, as families. And um, so I don't think there are any certainties to the future. And that will worry these clubs and executives. The reason they're in they're in such a panic now, these clubs, is because they've spent all of their, many of them have spent all of the television money. It's all come in. And whereas we would bank most of our money and try and save it if we got windfalls like the Premier League clubs get, they've spent it and um, and now but they're feeling the effects of it. Therefore, surely, embrace fragmentation. And I don't want every week that we do this that we go, well, this is how it's done in the Premier League, but over in America, this is what they do with their sports. But you could look, Ed, at NFL or NBA or Major League Baseball fragmentation within a TV market is embraced because certainly from the NFL's point of view, it's about getting as many pairs of eyes on their games as they can possibly get. Absolutely. And, and as you'll know, Mark, right now, the NFL have opened up during this period their Game Pass app, which is their OTT offering on which you can watch Red Zone on a normal Sunday but you can also go back and watch any NFL game in history, including like historic Super Bowls and stuff, but also a lot of the original programming they've done. Shows like Hard Knocks, um, which people might have heard of. Shows like uh, A Football Life, which they might not have heard of. But it's essentially brilliant content on the NFL, about the NFL. And if you set foot into the NFL Game Pass app, then you are essentially entering into a world where all the content you're going to be exploring is going to be about that league. So they're very happy for you to do what you want. And... You know, I wrote a piece about NFL Network for its 15-year anniversary, and I kind of wondered out loud if the Premier League would go down that path. And I talked to some people at the Premier League, and they said, 
that they, they'd gone down a slightly different route. They do something called Premier League Productions, which I'm sure a couple of you have appeared on before. It, it's basically some bespoke programming that gets sold in the same rights package as the live games. And going forward, if the Premier League were to do its own Prem Flicks thing, then I think we'd see the Premier League going more towards maybe even the NFL network model. Like You've got to remember NFL and I think NHL as well, they have their own TV channels that are non-stop news on that sport. Now, you have to look at the Premier League and say that this is a big enough sport, a big enough league to support 24-7 news coverage. And we kind of get it on Sky Sports News. But when you own that media and when you can attract people into your app and say, well, look, here's the classic Liverpool-Newcastle game, the 4-3 from, from years ago. And you can offer that to people and on top of like a live news product. Maybe you put fantasy football in the same app. If the Premier League could come up with some sort of offering like this going forward, yes, it would reduce for now their broadcasting revenue from huge telecommunications companies. But they could take it over themselves and then solidify what would be an incredibly strong revenue stream and obviously incredibly direct as well. So that's kind of what I'm looking for. And I wonder whether the Premier League look, Matt, at, at some of the stuff that the NFL do. And we've mentioned this before. For, for for the NFL, it is definitely reach. That is their big thing. So Thursday night football, and Ed might have to give me one of the channels here, but he's on Amazon Prime, it's on the NFL Network, and is it also... It's also they put on it on Fox as well. And they put it on Fox. So they've got Amazon Prime, which for them, they would look at. It's streamed on Amazon. If that's how the kids are going to get their sport, then we want it on Amazon. We want it, we want it on the traditional channel, traditional-ish, in Fox, because that's where a lot of our football is shown on Fox. They had the Super Bowl uh, last year as well. And we'll also have it on NFL Network because our diehard fans are there and they might want that coverage and we want to reward our diehard fans. It's not about a either-or. It's about all of them coming together. And I just wonder, we're, we're talking about all these different models, whether the Premier League could actually do them all, whether it's a club season ticket and a streaming service and still be with Sky. It might take less money from Sky, but it might open it up. Well, I think they should do that. The NFL is probably, I think, the gold standard in terms of licensing and broadcast rights deals for now. Obviously, the Premier League is, what, a $5 billion creature and, and is doing very well at that. But the NFL for now is just a little bit more inventive. They're reaching different, more diverse audiences as well. Um, and as I say, they have this huge amount of original programming and their own television network, which just adds a lot to their offering uh, that the Premier League doesn't quite have yet. But as we said, can aspire to. I'm just going to pose just some counterpoints, just, just for balance's sake. So, when you speak to the Premier League, I can tell you right now they don't they don't they don't think they're second to anyone. Okay, they they don't they don't look they don't look at anybody else. I mean, obviously, of course, they do because they're they're professional competitive people. But they they are not looking jealously elsewhere. They, you know, they, you know, they take some ideas. The thing with the NFL is it's last season did pretty well. The ratings rebounded off the back of two or three really bad years when all the conversation around the NFL was was not particularly good a lot of off-field issues but a real sense that the that they had tapped their market out one of the reasons why they're pushing the, the the games in Europe so hard of course and they look very jealously I know they do at the Premier League's ability to be even in the conversation with them when the states has a population five six times the size and they're wondering how on earth this is and they know and then they work it out oh right because soccer's the global game 
and Premier League is managing to flog its products in a way that we can only dream of in Singapore, Thailand, Indonesia, etc., etc. So that's the thing. That's 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 one point. The NBA actually has a, has a sort of slightly different take on this because, of course, they can sell their product elsewhere and have done pretty well out of China until quite recently. But the point is, whenever we get into conversations about should European football, should the Premier League ape, copy, aspire to be the NFL, you have to immediately, well, pretty quickly come up to this point where you go, ah, but they are fundamentally different beasts for lots of different reasons. First of all, the NFL is a closed shop league where everyone makes money. They, they share everything. We don't. We are a competitive, very competitive system with promotion and relegation. We also have not just our top flight, we have three more divisions below and another one that's pretty much professional as well. We are competing for eyeballs with other leagues in other countries in the way the NFL isn't. So I, I take your point. I just I just add a few caveats. One is that the, the NFL model wasn't doing that well until relatively recently. It's had a better year. There are still complaints. There's still an awful lot of talk about cable cutting and how many direct debits have I got? I'm getting a bit confused again. And people are upset about Thursday night football being a bit of a, oh God, a bit of a stretch. And the fact that Monday night football isn't the institution it used to be. So look, all is not completely rosy in the NFL's garden. Yes, it has done phenomenally well. And it is still the best way to sell anything in America. You look at the top 20 shows in America. It's the same year in, year out. It'll be 19 of the 20. So yeah, kudos to, to the NFL. But to, to suggest that it is... I think streets ahead of, of anywhere else. I, I, I would roll back on that a tiny bit. And the Premier League, as I say, has this opportunity that the NFL have just been totally unable to crack. And that is to get serious money, serious money, as opposed to giving it away, money from overseas broadcasters. The only problem, Matt, is those overseas broadcasters might not still exist in a few months' time. That's the, that's the biggest issue. You know, you're looking at companies like... DAZN, and I'm trying to work out how DAZN come through this whole period unscathed, but when you're a company, an OT, they, DAZN are kind of the, the, the halfway point between what we've been describing. They are themselves an OTT app that, that basically buys broadcast rights and sells them on in a subscription service at a, a small margin. Now, no sports for months looks to me like it's going to damage companies like that irreparably. I don't know. And there are companies already withholding their final round of payments in France and elsewhere. So the damage to these companies is is real. It's happening now. Oh, no, I completely agree. I think the zone actually, will, of all of them, will possibly get through this because they're, they, they've got, they're sitting on quite a lot of venture capital. Deepest pockets, look, right? Yeah, exactly. And, look, and it becomes, look, these crises become opportunities. Don't forget that. It becomes, when everyone's hurting, right, we, we hunker down, we get through this, and then we pick them off. So just as a little sidetrack on DAZN, who are the main partner of the Premier League in Canada, where they live stream everything. And as I understand it, Canadian soccer fans absolutely love what DAZN offer. They're, of course, they're hurting now. Anyone that's struggling for a paycheck, you're looking through your direct debits. You're cancelling the gym. You're cancelling whatever you can. And anyone that is is the, even vaguely dependent on, a, on an advertising model, wow. I mean, I, you know, my sympathies and I... I we need to get through this ASAP, don't we? But the point of the Premier League's global success is that football isn't going to be any less popular when we get through this than it is right now. It, it just isn't. In fact, it's going the other way. When you talk to Premier League people, they they are looking at China, 
India. They're looking at the, the big countries where football isn't number one yet. And it's a battle there between La Liga, Bundesliga and the Premier League. They're looking at China. They're looking at India, North America still. NBC is, the, is, the, is, the, is one of the Premier League's biggest partners. You know, it's, it's not quite on sky levels yet, but they love NBC. NBC are going to get through this okay. And I know that Sky uh, have spent a lot of time in the last couple of years just putting three-minute highlights, reels of games up on their YouTube channel, which are incredibly, incredibly popular and actually quite a, a way of, you know, consuming the, the whole round of, of Premier League action. What's quite interesting is whether is how that has an impact on how people talk about the game how people view the game, and maybe many years down the line on how the sport will actually be played. Are more and more people, David, consuming it in bite-sized chunks rather than sitting there and watching a full 90 minutes of football? That would appear to be the case. And there are some very creative deals being struck between governing bodies like the FA, the Premier League, the ECB on cricket for, for goal and wicket highlights and, and snippets that are becoming ever more popular, especially on social media. And then is that going to infiltrate in, into the actual sport itself? You know, the 100 uh, in cricket is being designed really, sp especially for the television market, for the shorter attention span. You know, that was part of the point of 2020 cricket. Football doesn't really have a televised shorter version there's clearly a move in that direction and and that relates back to also what we were talking about earlier the the fight for eyes and the fragmentation and uh, the need to retain your audience um which is which is being shared out like like never before really without doubt that that sort of bite-sized culture is proliferating and it's the sports that capture and service those eyes and those audiences that will will start to profit from that. How football does it, I, I really don't know. The thing I, I think we're going to move towards more is probably, again, it's what you see here. Like They're trying to make more money from the sport than they did before. So it's where can we fit in more adverts? Where can we change things slightly? So it might be simply just kind of how they bring adverts on the screen uh, while the game's still being played. Maybe they have more commercial partnerships um, with companies where, you know, they announced the, the the EA Sports Man of the Match and stuff already, but, like, it's going to be more than that. You know, as we go into the game, it's who's the danger man? Well, this is the Subway danger man. Uh, eat fresh, you know, like things like that. I, I think that is the only way that you can revolutionise the broadcasting of the Premier League in the actual sport because I don't think that we're going to mess around with the sport, as David kind of points out, in the same way that the 100 is in cricket. We can, however, innovate way more on the broadcast side. And especially once we've got uh, live stream, you've got to remember, like, if you're signing up for Prem Flix and you're a Leicester City fan, uh, it's going to start learning more data about you depending on your habits that you use within the app. So then suddenly you're going to have this customized ad experience, I imagine, within the app um, that is tailored towards you. So there's, there's a lot of innovation that can happen outside it. We just need to know that the broadcasting deals are still going to be intact in a couple of years' time. But Ed, what about the terminal problem of access? And, and deep down, these clubs, from my experience, 
don't really want to engage in this sort of thing. You, you've seen broadcasters in the last couple of years being allowed to run on the pitch after the match and interview players there and then, which wasn't happening before. Um, but I, I, you probably remember Satanta would send a reporter down to the dugout and and uh, to, to a coach who might be sat in the stands or something or, or even substitutes warming up. And that never really caught on thinking of more creative ways to provide content. One of the ideas that I heard from someone very high up in football um, to help solve the um, sort of crisis we're in now uh, in terms of providing content to to hopefully broker some sort of peace and, and allay some of the tension between the broadcasters and the Premier League his idea is to allow the broadcasters to film some of the training sessions ahead of any potential resumption or if it's not a resumption then the next season let the the Sky and BT cameras film Manchester United City, Liverpool, Arsenal etc training which probably would be boring to most of us but ultimately they're lacking in content so is the onus on the clubs to come up with more creative content? Is it on the leagues is it on both but one thing I do know back to that original point is that many of the um, clubs and players and coaches feel that we already have too much access they don't want to give more of their time they don't want to let journalists and broadcasters into their dressing rooms like in NBA and so there's a bit of a um, conflict you know in in their respective interests. I think players are about to get a bit of a surprise though David Uh, you know I, I just I don't know how they can look at this market where, you know, personally, I can't believe the thing where clubs are asking the government to pay the salaries of, of low paid workers while they're still paying 200 grand a week to players. I think that's an absolute disgrace. But if, if you're looking at this and we're going to come out the other end and I imagine, and, and I know that it's going to be difficult to agree these things across the leagues, but like you can see a lot of players having to take a dramatic pay cut after this um, is all over. And, I think there are some things that are going to be up for renegotiation. And in the UK, like specifically, access has to be one of them. In America, as we know, the access is better. But the Premier League, if they continue to clamp down and clamp down and only give it to to broadcasters, it's just not going to produce the same level of stuff. Like, I think the access question in the UK is something that's going to have to open up over the next few years. Um, they're going to try and make it go the other direction. But if you're looking at the actual content that's coming out around the league, this is what benefits the league. The The NFL, for example, have a much more open model that allows content creators to go in and, and talk to their people and find interesting things. We have literal NFL players currently playing a Madden competition, which is streamed to everyone, and all the fans can be involved and things like that. Like That's way more open. It clearly is going to promote the league. So I'm hoping that we can go down that path after this and like reassess the direction things we're going in. Whether that actually happens is... A little bit more doubtful, I fear. Let me bring it back from the modern digital age to one of the very old rules that we have in the UK. And Matt, about six or eight weeks ago, a midweek game saw, in the championship, Leeds go to Brentford. A lot of people have been talking about this game in the build-up to it. It had a lot of build-up to the game. It's crucial in the promotion race in the championship. And I turned on the television to watch it, and it wasn't the chosen game. It was behind the red button on one camera, um, and the coverage was 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 awful of it. Now, and I got very annoyed that I couldn't watch Brentford Leeds in all its glory that I would normally expect with a with a Sky game. Instead, they were showing QPR against Swansea. I think. Now, if Brentford Leeds had taken place on Saturday afternoon at three o'clock, 
I wouldn't have even thought twice about trying to find it because I because we have the three pm blackout. So I wonder how much the footballing authorities are dealing with the dilemma of a demand from a lot of people to watch every single game that is out there and maybe maintaining this Saturday 3pm blackout? Yeah, good question. Really good question. Look, they're all linked. So, you know, what you were saying about just how much available, how much is available in terms of the US and you can pretty much, depending where you are, you know, you can pretty much watch watch, watch what, what you like, particularly if you've got the live streaming, the OTT packages as well. Look, we're not there yet. We're not. And we're not there for, for, for very old-fashioned reasons. And that is because we have these 92 professional clubs, which, which really is more like 110 these days, with another, you know, 40-odd north of the border. There is a provision in the UEFA, UEFA rulebook, I think it's Article 48, something like that, that you can block out a period to have a media blockout in your market. And it's between 2.45 and 5.15. So it covers those 3 p.m. games. Now, as it happens, the only countries, this rule, by the way, has been there for 50 years. The only countries that take advantage of this now are England, Scotland, and Montenegro. God knows why Montenegro does. I have no idea. I don't know anything about Montenegro and broadcasting the, the sea and the landscape. But I do know that the reason it is blacked out here is a strong sense of fraternity within the football pyramid. That if the Premier League was to put all of its games, make them all available, right? And look, there'll be people out there listening to this and laughing, going, you do know you can pretty much find this stuff, don't you, online? Well, but if they were yes. to make it, yeah. <laughs> but if it were to make it easier, all right? If we were to make it as easy to hear as it is for people in the States or, or, or wherever it might be to watch all the games on a Saturday afternoon, there is a fear that people, one, won't go support their local championship, League One, League Two, National League team. And there was also sometimes it's, it's, it's suggested also it would have a knock-on effect on grassroots football, which I, 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 I don't buy that one so much because that could be in the mornings, it could be Sunday mornings. But, but they're, the, they're the two arguments that often come up that... I think that the, the key one is that, that how on earth will Barnsley, Accrington, Southend, Morecambe and that survive if there is a premium product available on your 50-inch flat-screen TV, comfort of your sofa and cold beers in the fridge? You know, that 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 is the argument that tends to keep coming up as to not touch the blackout. Now, it's one of those things that just... It just makes less and less sense. I think Daniel Levy gave gave a little interview to a to a new a university newspaper pretty much a year ago where he sort of said, "Look, why are we still doing this?" Andrew Regazzani, who who's Leeds United's owner, who, who used to run Eleven Sports, tried it on. He he, he had the Liga rights uh, in this country, and he tried to put on the big La Liga game in the three pm in the three pm blackout here. And was 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 politely told to stop doing it, and eventually did. Now, I just can't see this kind of thing lasting much longer. And I and I, and I say this as a, as a fan of a of a of a, a small EFL club. Um, I think I think it will hurt. I don't think it will hurt as much, maybe as people think. You know, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stay in to watch Premier League game. I'll, I'll go I'll go watch my team. But I think the concern is. With all that marketing power, with all how cool and sexy and how well the Premier League sells its products, will the next generation of fans just become clips and TV fans or will they go down the road and see their local team? There are people around the Premier League table now 
who run sports franchises in the States, who have no real attachment to, to the, the football pyramid, who must just be sitting there going, sorry, I don't really get it. So why, what do we do? Why are we still doing this? I, I just, I'm just not seeing it. But look, and we'll reach a tipping point at some, at some stage where everyone will go, you know what, you're right. What, why are we doing this? Maybe we need to give them a bit more money, but we need to do this now. My only hope for this, because I completely agree on, on all of that. I, I do happen to think that antiquated. I think it's nonsense that it's easier for me to watch the Premier League in America than it was when I lived in London. You know, like watching Crystal Palace is a lot easier from Chicago inexplicably than it was from two miles away from the stadium. My only hope for these lower league clubs coming out of all of this is that people become a little bit more rooted in their community and decide that these community businesses that we're trying to support now, whether that's your local restaurant or maybe your greengrocer or your butcher or something, and we look at it and we say, no, I can't let AFC Wimbledon or Rochdale or Farsley Celtic go out of business. This is a team that is around the corner. I, I don't know why I haven't gone for two seasons because it's literally a two-minute walk away and I'm going to start going to a bit of non-league or a bit of lower league football. If that doesn't happen now, then I think we know that we're going to start losing more football league clubs after this because the, the financial situation is bad enough. If, if we can't get people through the door now, if you can't look at it and say these clubs will disappear if you do not attend, if that happens and, and people still don't go, then I think we know, we know the direction of travel there. It's just sad because... There, there, I was going to say, therefore it is good, Ed, that it is easier to watch Crystal Palace in Chicago than it is two miles away from the ground. You don't want it to be easy to watch Crystal Palace if you live two miles away from the ground because you you want people to be at the ground. There is that, but I also believe in treating people like adults. Like It's frankly ridiculous that you could... Uh, and I've done this once. I've, I've been sat in sight of a football stadium... Uh, streaming game on my phone that uh, of that's going on in that stadium because you couldn't watch it on television. And I remember thinking it was stupid at the time and it still seems pretty stupid now. I do think that the, the 3pm blackout is an antiquated thing that we should be looking to get rid of. I don't also think that suddenly everyone's going to stop attending South End games if West Ham are on at 3pm. But there is a correlation. You know, if West Ham are away at Newcastle, and Southend and Dagenham and Redbridge are at home. I wonder how much that affects their attendances. I know they've done studies into it, and some teams think it, it would completely kill their attendances. I don't know how true that is. But I think we have to be modern with the Premier League, but we also have to try and support the lower leagues. And if, if people won't go to lower league games, then I don't think that the 3pm blackout changing actually adapt to that at all. I just hope that there's a renewed impetus to support your local businesses now. Now, I'm fascinated to see how so many of these issues play out off the back of this crisis. Just off the top of my head, would broadcasters come out of this with the upper hand? Who needs each other more, football or the broadcasters? Back to Ed's point, will supporters and the community come to the forum and, and will fans galvanise and, and help clubs out of of this mess and, and will we see a sort of reinvigoration of of grassroots and, and local community clubs ed's idea about sort of revolutionizing things will there be appetite for bringing leagues together for, for creative concepts to energize the whole system to excite broadcasters and fans who will win out in this battle if anyone between the fans who love domestic football, love it how it is now and don't want all these changes and, and potential breakaways versus this, and we touched upon it in the pod earlier this week, the unrelenting drive among some elite clubs to break away 
and to be playing more matches between the so-called big name clubs in this sort of Super League concept that we've heard about forever to satisfy the commercial partners and the global fans of these clubs. There are so many issues now that I don't have the answers to, but this whole situation, as disastrous as it is, and and football is all relative um, in comparison, brings up so many intriguing issues. And that seems a very good place to leave it. We've been talking for so long, the technology is starting to give up slightly as well. Uh, Ed, David, Matt, thank you very much. Uh, Plenty of fantastic articles, of course, uh, on The Athletic, written by all of them, so you'll be able to see those at your leisure. Thank you very much for listening to us, uh, and we will do another one next week on the Future of Football podcast.